invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to the book of Jonah, if you would. Chapter 3. In our series of gospel U-turns, we've been asking two questions of each of the texts we've looked at so far. What does it mean to be a Christian? And how can someone become a Christian? You're familiar with taking a regular U-turn in your car and how you're going one direction and you need to turn around and go completely the opposite direction. The gospel U-turn is just that, not in your car though, but in your heart. It's that you're going one way in life and you turn around and completely go the opposite direction, a new direction, namely toward God. And we have discovered as we've read the text that we've gone through this month that a gospel U-turn changes everything in your life. Not only your direction, but your desires, your deeds, and ultimately your destiny. However, we've made it very clear as well that a gospel U-turn is not just an event that takes place at one point in your life. Rather, a gospel U-turn is a lifestyle. It is a series of daily events where you continue to turn away from sin and go toward God in your life in every single area. There's been, and our text is no different today, there's been some key terms that have been crucial that the Bible uses to kind of express or describe that U-turn spiritual experience. One of them is the word itself, turn, which is in our text four times today, and also the word repent. You can look at the text yourself, if you can see it there in Jonah chapter 8, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, it says, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Notice how many times the word turn is, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn, there it is again, and relent, which is another form of the word turn, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. There are really three turns taking place in this text. Jonah turns back to fulfill the mission he was given. The Ninevites turn from their sin to God. And God, even himself, not like the other two, but different, he also makes a turn and turns away from the disaster and wrath that he had planned for each one of them. As we mentioned at the table today, I would like to have you take the time as I'm speaking even now to put yourself in the place of the first two people who make a turn. Because I would think that almost everyone in this room today could put yourself in one of the first two categories. Like Jonah, you need to turn back to the mission that God has called you with the right heart motivation. Or maybe you haven't become a Christian yet and God brought you here today, not accidentally, but by appointment because he wants you to make a U-turn in your life and turn to him. Jonah's U-turn, if I could unpack them one at a time, wasn't an easy one because in his mind, he would have been given Mission Impossible. Do you remember the TV show? I know this is going way back. Did you know Mission Impossible is not always a series of movies? It was first a TV show. And like the movie, though, there's always this little phrase at the very beginning to one of the agents, your mission, and it would pause, should you choose to accept it, 
and then they would give the mission, and then it would self-destruct in five seconds. You probably are familiar with that. Jonah got his, and as soon as he got it, he just self-destructed in five seconds because he wasn't willing to accept it. And the reason was, is because it was unprecedented. It was shocking to Jonah because God in all of history in the Old Testament had never asked a Jewish prophet to go outside of Israel to make any prophecies. That had never, ever been done. It was unprecedented. So Jonah, number one, was shocked by that. And number two, that if there was going to be an occasion that God would do that, because it was always a come and see method. In the Old Testament, you would come and see the temple. You would come and see God. It was your job to come from where you are to where God is. And now God is wanting me to go where I am to where they are and to the nation of, of Assyria, to Nineveh, Israel's greatest enemy, a terrorist nation with atrocities that I won't even describe to you this morning that they did to people, including Israelites. That God would somehow want to warn them and turn them from their wicked ways. These are shocking things to Jonah. Jonah chose to run in the opposite direction. Nineveh was east, Tarshish was west. There was about 3,000 miles difference between the two of them because Jonah was going to tell God in no uncertain terms that I'm going to do the very opposite of what you tell me to do. I'm not doing it. Here's why. Because Jonah was trying to get God to do his agenda. Jonah wanted God to change so Jonah would do his, well, God would do Jonah's purposes. See, for Jonah... God telling him to go to Nineveh didn't make any sense. And so he ran from God. I would say every single person in this room today has experienced that. And Jonah ran from God because he couldn't control God. Have you ever done that? Are you doing that now? See, what happens in your life when God won't change to fit your purposes or agenda? There are people sitting in doctor's offices, and the report from the biopsy comes back, and it's cancer. For some, it's cancer again. And as a Christian, you're sitting in church, and you have your Bible open, and you're involved in some level of ministry, and you're coming to church, and you even give offering money in the offering plate, and you're sitting in the doctor's office, and they give you the biopsy report, and you think this in your mind, this doesn't make any sense. I'm only 42. I still have young children at home. And you begin to think in your mind, why doesn't God change this? Translated, why doesn't God do what I think he ought to do? And it's made a lot of people run. It's the single person who has been waiting for years, in fact, praying for years, that God would bring that Mr. or Mrs. Wright into their life. And it's finally happened. And the, it's a romantic relationship. And there's a great love going on there in their lives, something they've waited for. It was almost too good to be true. And then a few months later, it turns out to be too much too good to be true because it crashes and burns and, and you're sitting there wondering say god why would this happen i prayed for this so long i don't understand this god what are you doing and you're at saying god basically why aren't you doing what i want you to do out of out of a work for 
for weeks, out of work for months, out of work for a year, and we get angry. Do you remember John McEnroe, tennis player? He was notorious for his anger. And he would go on, any small little missed call in a tennis match, he would walk up to the the referee or the judge or the, you know, and, and, and his famous line was, if you remember him, are you serious? Are you serious? In other words, he couldn't believe it that this would happen. And, and he said that all the time. Listen, I know that maybe you wouldn't do it at church, but have you ever said it in your life? Have you ever looked at your circumstances, your physical health, the financial setbacks, the relationships that haven't happened, the job you didn't get, the promotion that you missed? Have you ever just wanted to say to God, are you serious? Jonah did. In fact, he did more than say it. He lived it. See, are you serious? I'm going to Tarshish. If this is how it is. See, what Jonah thought was... His greatest need was to be in control, particularly of God. But the reality was, in which he forgot, that his real greatest need was God's mercy. And Jonah needed a refresher course in mercy, so God had him swallowed by a great fish. And in chapter 2, he recognizes this. Oh, it's not just the Ninevites who need mercy. It's me. I need it. And you would think, wouldn't you, that being swallowed by a fish, probably sitting in the acid in the stomach, probably having your face and your body completely bleached white, walking out probably never being the same or looking the same ever again, and, and then God rescuing you from that three days later and giving you what you don't deserve, which, by the way, is the definition of mercy, and putting you back on dry land. And chapter 3 begins, and God said to him a second time, I mean, God giving you a second chance, wouldn't you think that the mercy of God that was so lavish on Jonah would turn him around? Well, it did to a point because he actually goes and does what he said he would do and what God wanted him to do. But it doesn't take long in chapter 3 and into chapter 4 to realize that the change in Jonah... The U-turn was only on the outside. Do you know there have been commentators who compare Jonah to both prodigal sons? In chapters 1 and 2, Jonah is the younger prodigal son because the young, younger prodigal son shows how wicked he is by disobeying all the father's rules. And that's what Jonah does. I mean, he just disobeys flat out what God tells him to do, and he runs. And so the younger prodigal son disobeys all the rules. He runs into the far country. He's obviously and overtly rebellious against God, and that's exactly who Jonah is in chapters 1 and 2. But then Jonah switches and becomes the elder prodigal son in chapters 3 and 4 because he ends up doing what the father says. He ends up going to Nineveh, just like the older son in the Luke 15 story. See, he didn't rebel by running away. He rebelled by staying home and just keeping the father's rules on the outside, but never letting it get to his heart. We are Jonah. We are. The question this morning is, which one of Jonah are you? See, there are Jonas who run away from God, and there are some here this morning, and you're running, and you've been running, and you do it by being immoral and irreligious. Even though you're here this morning, God really doesn't control your life because you were not going to let him. 
He's not going to be the one who tells you what your agenda should be and how you should live your life and if you should live with someone or actually marry them or if you should be holy or not. He's, you're not letting him touch your finances or your priorities or the way that you think. And there are those who run from God that way. Jonah was disobedient. He just said, God, I don't really don't care what you say. And there's a lot of people here like that. And then there are some who are rebellious, but they come to church every single Sunday. And they know what to wear, and they know how to look, and they know Christianese and how to talk, and they bring their Bibles, and they keep all the rules on the outside. But see, they, they never really change, and there's never really a gospel U-turn on the inside. That was Jonah. And his lack of love for God showed up in his lack of love for others. And so you can run from God in a couple different ways. But they're both a misunderstanding of mercy. Jonah finally gets to Nineveh, and he cries out and in the Hebrew. It's only five words. Five, it's eight in English, but five. He doesn't even get through the whole city because Hebrews, I mean, Nehemiah, um, Jonah, thank you. Three days journey through, it says. Three, it's so big that it takes three days to get through it. He only gets one day in that travel. He's only one-third of the way through the city. And he just starts saying, hey, you got 40 days and you're going to be overthrown. If you don't turn to God, he's going to turn you into rubble. That's basically what it means. And he doesn't tell them, hey, 40 days you might be overthrown. What does he say? You shall be overthrown. Because that's really what he wanted. He doesn't say anything about mercy. Why? Because he forgot the mercy that was shown to him. And he only had a message of condemnation and repentance. And see, that's what happens to us. See, we don't really care about others and their needs and we don't talk to others and we're not on a mission at times and we let people and opportunities pass us by and the reason is is that we are not mindful of mercy we come to the table and we remember today but it doesn't take long before the service is over and we walk out the door and we have completely forgotten and surely if you asked Jonah, he would say, when he said those words, 40 days in Nineveh will be condemned or destroyed. He said, I'm doing my duty, it's my job. But he really didn't have a love for them. You see, Christians are people who have been shown mercy and therefore share mercy with others. See, that's our problem, isn't it? Every week we come in here and we come in here and we get and we get and we take in and we take in. And we become spiritual sponges and God says, pour your mercy on me. God, make my marriage good. Make my finances good. Make my life good. Make my eternity good. But does it ever overflow into the lives of others? Do we ever invest in our neighbors or our co-workers or our family members? Does the mercy we've been shown is it ever, ever shared with others? For Jonah, it was not. And his relationship with God overflowed into the relationship with other people. And all he thought about was their judgment and condemnation. Forty days, the number 40 is used all throughout Scripture. Forty years in the wilderness. Moses was 40 days in Mount Sinai. Um, spies were 40 days in the Canaan. Um, Jesus was tempted for 40 days. I mean, it's a number of punishment, judgment, trial... And here's what Jonah thinks, 40 days and I'll finally be rid of the Assyrians, because that was Jonah's heart. But to his surprise, second one, Nineveh makes a U-turn. And you know, a real gospel U-turn that saves someone's life 
always involves two turns. So if you're looking to say the answer to the question today, how does someone become a Christian, a Bible Christian, not Christian by general, cultural Christian, I mean a Christ Christian? There are always two turns involved, and you can see them in our text in verse 8 of chapter 3. Let everyone, here's the first one, turn from. See, turn from his evil way. You have to own your own sin and say that God is right and you are wrong about life and what is right and wrong. And you have to turn from it. Now notice, it says everyone. And he delineates what that means in no uncertain terms. And in verse 7, he says, the king and the nobles. I mean, it was the people on the throne in charge and the government running the country. They were repenting and turning to God. Verse 5 says, from the greatest of them to the least of them. So the people in the palace and the people who are living really low social strata-wise, I mean, from the top to the bottom of the Nineveh culture, people turn to God. In fact, even it was instructed that the animals had to give outward signs of repentance. Why? Because they took their sin so seriously. When they heard the message of Jonah, that they turned from it completely. But not only does the Bible emphasize everyone, but everything. God says, turn from your evil way and the violence that is in your hands. It's not just a generic U-turn that you take. It is a very specific U-turn to your very personal life and the things that you were involved in. Nineveh and the Ninevites were known to be violent people, and they were horrific in the way they tortured people, and they killed people, and I won't even tell you because it was gross you out, and there are children here. That's how bad they were. They made the Nazis look good. But God says... You turn away from your evil. See, when you are saved and make a gospel U-turn, there's always a forsaking that's involved. There is a following, yes, you turn to God and follow, but there's a forsaking first. You have to turn your back on the way that you are living. So let me ask you very pointedly today, what is in your hands? For them it was violence. And God says, empty your hand completely of that lifestyle. If you want to be right with me, stop being violent to people. So God would say to you this morning, listen, I want you to become a child of mine. I have mercy in store for your sins. I want you to turn to me. Here's your job. Here's the responsibility that I'm going to give you the power to do. Turn away from your evil, specifically the stuff that you're holding on to today. And he would have you know this with no uncertainty today, that you cannot hold God's hands and have stuff in your hands at the same time. He says, you got to let go. You let go of your stuff, and with that hand, you grab mine, but you can't keep holding on to that stuff. And see, for some, it could be alcohol that you keep holding in your hands, because that's really your God and what really controls you. For others, it's money and materialism. And you hold in your hand, it's the cash and the credit card and the status and the power and the position, the pleasure that comes with all of that. And that's the way your life has been. And that's what your identity is all about. And you've been holding on to that. It's who you are. 
Perhaps it's the woman or the man in your life, and maybe the person that shouldn't be in your life, but you hold on to them because that's what makes you feel satisfied. You have purpose in life because of that relationship that you have. It's the one you've looked for and wanted for so long, and now you have it, and you're telling me that i got to tell God no? I can't, I, I can't do that? Maybe it's something as simple as the mouse of the computer that's in your hand that you turn to watch images and videos and things that you shouldn't be watching. God says, you have to let it go. You have to turn from, that's the first turn, turn from your evil way. The things that are in your hands, God says. The old hymn in our hymn book, Rock of Ages, the writer says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. See, God says, see, here's how you have to come to me when you repent, when you make a U-turn. You have to come to me with nothing in your hands. Let Empty all of it out and say, God, you tell me how to live my life. See, it's time to open your hands to God. That's turning from sin. But there's always a second turn. It's not just turning away from, it's a turning to. Turning to God. And the king's hope was this. As Nineveh turns from her intense wickedness, that God will turn from his intense wrath. And the king was showing some fear. And he wasn't even certain that God would forgive him because he says in verse 9, he says, look at the text, he says, who knows? That little phrase, who knows, is used ten times in the Old Testament. All of them, except this one, are used by Jewish people. This is the only Gentile use of the term. Who knows? And ten times it's used. Only one or two of them, God actually changes his mind and reverses his course. So this this instance of Nineveh's salvation is incredibly unique. See, God brought you here today because here's what he wants you to know. Here's what the king hoped in. Who knows? Maybe God can save even the worst of people like Ninevites. And you might be here and say, Pastor Walker, listen, I don't even know if God would want to forgive me. Oh, you know, I know there are people who've done worse than I have, but if I started delineating and numbering and putting out on paper, if I showed you all the things that were in my mind and my thoughts, and I showed you the things I've said and how cruel I've been to other people and mean and harmful and the division I've called in my family and even the things I've done at church, let, let me tell you this, God wouldn't want any part of me. And here's what he says, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God... Listen, we'll turn from his fierce anger. Now, may I tell you today, as a pastor, it is not popular to tell people that God is a God of wrath. Everybody wants God to be a God of love. Preach heaven all you want. Just don't talk about hell. God should be a God who includes everyone. And how could you say that God excludes anyone? But can I tell you that? The Bible is very clear. On multiple occasions, both Old and New Testament, that God is angry at sin. Psalm 7 says God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation. Listen to this. Every day, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword and he has bent and 
and readied his bow. He has prepared for himself deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. God says all those who don't repent and make themselves my enemy by their choices to run from me and do their own thing, God says they force me. I will be their enemy. But God doesn't want that. His heart is a heart of mercy, unlike Jonah's. God doesn't want to be your enemy. God doesn't want to oppose you. God doesn't want to cause disaster and ultimately leads to your destruction. God wants you to repent. But there are people here today that this is not news to you because God has talked to you and has worked in your heart and has tried to get you to a place of repentance, but you continue to run. And there are roadblocks to repentance. And one of them is delaying. See, he says this, God is merciful, Nineveh, although he didn't want it to happen. 40 days. See, God gave them 40 days. And God is very kind to give them any opportunity to have mercy. And he did. But can I tell you, it will run out. It will. And God has brought you here today, and today is the day of salvation, the psalm says. Don't harden your heart as in the days of provocation. When Israel turned away from God, he says, I brought you here today. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't say, hey, hey, I'll try to get my act together. God doesn't want you to clean up your own mess. God doesn't want you to try to renovate your own life and heart. He's not looking for you to reform something. He wants you to let his power, gospel power, invade your life so that he can change you. You say, Pastor Walker, is it really that serious? Well, the king says, who knows? Maybe if we turn from our wicked ways, God will turn from his fierce anger. Listen to this. So that we may not perish. Does that answer it for you? See, one of the ways that roadblocks to repentance is this. See, we minimize the seriousness of what we're doing. We think that God doesn't really care that it isn't that bad, and there are far worse people than me, and my sin can't be possibly that great, you would be wrong. Can I say it this way? You'd be dead wrong. Please don't equate that what God is asking you to do today is trying to drop some habit like you would do on New Year's. No, this is a life transformation. He's not asking you to be a little bit more moral, to have a little bit more kindness, to treat people a little bit better. No, he wants your whole life and every single part of it. See, no, Jonah had a U-turn, but it wasn't from the inside, only on the outside. The, Nineveh, the Ninevites, they were completely altered and changed by it. At least we know this for a hundred years. But you know what the Bible says? God had a U-turn in this way. God turned around. He says in verse 10, when God saw what they did, now watch, please listen to me because we live in a day where everybody thinks the external trappings are what God is looking at. And people think, oh, you know what, pastor wants me to come to church more. Yes, but that's not what I'm talking about. A pastor wants me to put more money in the plate. Don't care about that. Listen, in, the, in this case, the Ninevites, you know what they did? They fasted, they prayed, they put on sackcloth and ashes. The king sat in a pile of ashes. He took his robe off. They did all the rituals. 
God doesn't say he even looked at any of that. He says, when God saw, listen, what they did, and what is it what they did? How they turned from their evil way. So he's not looking for you to become more religious. This is not what we're talking about. He's not interested in you becoming more ritualistic and putting on some religious veneer and and, and trying to fix the outside. No, he wants you to have a U-turn. Turn around, inside out, completely. That's what it means to be a Christian. Turn around completely. And God says, when they did that, and when God saw that, mercy was given. And he wants emphatically to say it because he didn't do what he had planned to do. And then it reemphasizes, it says, and he did not do it. In other words, this is what I planned, and this is what I'm actually going to do. He changes mind. Now listen, the Bible is very clear that God doesn't change his mind like people. When God changed his mind from punishing Nineveh to not punishing Nineveh, it wasn't because he got some new information as if God had to be informed of what they did. It wasn't that he was caught off guard and surprised. Oh, I never thought they'd turn. Now that they are, I think I'll be nice and merciful. No, God doesn't change his mind like people change their mind. No, God in his sovereign kindness and grace and mercy had chosen to do this, and when they actually made their turn, he expressed the turn that he had always planned to do because he knew it ahead of time. And God turned from his anger and showed mercy, which is the complete opposite of Jonah. Read chapter 4 sometime. Jonah sees them turn, and you know what he does? He's angrier than ever before. He's so angry, he says, God, why don't you just kill me? You see, Jonah was merciless, kept his anger, walked outside the city, sat there and sulked. But greater than Jonah, Jesus, he showed mercy. He let go of his anger to do so. He walked outside the city, and he died on a cross for our sins. Truly a greater than Jonah is here. So we have choices, don't we? We are Jonah or we are Jesus. As Christians, that's who we should be. Not Jonah, Jesus. But let me say this. Maybe you're here and you are not a Christian. And God says, I brought you here so that you can make that U-turn today so that you don't have to perish, so that you can know Jesus, the one true merciful God. Would you turn today? Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, we're going to finish our service with just a worship chorus. Lord, lay some soul in my heart, 449. If you're a Christian here today, it's been so long since you've been involved in mission, it's not what you daily think about or do or spend money or time on or witness Have you ever asked yourself why? See, Jonah's greatest problem, really, truthfully, was not Nineveh. It was God. He couldn't handle God's agenda and purposes and free mercy. He couldn't handle it. Because he never really got a hold of the mercy he'd been given. 
And that's why it is so important that we had communion today. Have you been reminded and can you understand, can you feel as a Christian the incredible mercy you've been shown? How can you not talk to others? How can you not go? How can you say nothing and do nothing? That should be the mission impossible. That we do nothing? Oh, would you say, God, help me to get a hold of your mercy. God, help me to get a hold of your heart. Change me from the inside that I could be not like Jonah, but like Jesus. Now, maybe you're not a Christian here today. And truthfully, you're running from God. And you don't want to give up what's in your hands. But God brought you here to tell you the good news again, that he'll forgive, that no one's beyond the reach of his hands. He's merciful and kind and loving, and he draws you to himself, even today. Oh, would you, would you turn today? Turn from your sin to a merciful and loving God. Would you do that? I'll be here after the service. As a Christian or a non-Christian, if you'd like to talk more about any of these things, please feel free to stick around. I'll be glad to spend some time with you. Father, thank you. The mercies of God, what a theme for our soul. The songwriter says, oh, we never could number them all. They are more than the stars in the heavenly dome and the sands of the wave-beaten shore. For mercies so great, what return can I make? For mercies so constant and sure, I'll love him, I'll serve him with all that I am as long as my life shall endure. What beautiful words. May they be true in our lives. For your glory and the good of others, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen.